So welcome to the third episode of the Old Songs podcast with me, John Wilkes, and this week with Ben Walker, who's been a part of the folk scene now for at least a decade, I'd say. Uh, he's perhaps best known for his work with Josie and Clark. He's an award-winning composer, arranger, bit of a wizard guitarist, and a producer who released a solo album called Echo in 2019. He's also done some great stuff recently with Rob Harbron, whose concertina work is really unparalleled, probably some of the best you'd hear in this country, certainly. Uh, and what they're doing together is wonderful, so if you get the chance, do go and see them. Now, much like last episode's guest, Jim Murray, Ben Walker is interested in how you take an old song forward, uh, how you use it as a catalyst for creativity, let's say, lifting it out of its traditional setting and presenting it in a way that is perhaps less alien to modern ears. So we're going to chat about a song called On Humber Bank, which is an old song that was collected orally in 1877, and it purports to be the suicide note of an abused young woman who ultimately threw herself into the Humber River. And Ben came to this song via a collector called Ken Stubbs, known for recording traditional singers such as George Maynard, and in this case, Ern Baxter. Uh, ben also found it in a recording that's housed on the Yorkshire Garland Group website, uh, which was sung by Maggie Graham. And all of these versions are going to be turning up later on in this episode, so you'll get a chance to hear them. Uh, in particular, I wanted to chat to Ben about the processes that he goes through to re-envision a song of this nature in a modern context. And along the way, we chatted about how the, the Martins, um, being, the Martins being Martin Simpson and Carthy, of course, how the Martins brought Ben to traditional music in what he calls a sort of rite of passage, which is certainly something that I can understand. Uh, we also geek out once again about how these songs travelled, how they change on their journeys, and how they're able to transport the listener to another time. And then there's stuff about things called last good nights, and there's stuff about things called floating verses. And there's also stuff on what you might call the modern folk singer's eternal nightmare, which is uh, trying to find songs that John Bowden hasn't already recorded. So there's a lot to get into. Uh, and let's get going, shall we? So I'm down here in Brighton with the very lovely Ben Walker. Hello. Hello. And, uh, well, I mean, I started this podcast, or put this idea out of, for this podcast a little while ago, and Ben got in touch very quickly, because I think, and, and I jumped at the chance of chatting to Ben because you're doing some really interesting things with taking traditional songs forwards. Trying to. Trying to. Trying to. Um, You've been recording traditional songs uh, off and on, off and on mm. for, for a decade or so. Mm. Um, was there any sort of ever any sort of policy towards including those songs on your earlier albums or is it just been whatever grabbed you? Just sort of whatever was found, whatever was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think this is certainly there's a particularly moving on to this or moving forwards being able to kind of go right i i'm going to choose this something's yeah. grabbed me i'm this quite is, enjoying this this is this is what i'm going to go towards yeah um it's been really interesting it's sort of certainly eye-opening yeah um it's had a decent reception as well so yeah it's, it's, it's good did you have a folky background yourself did no i i basically my background was classical guitar mm. um and then when i was a teenager i started playing electric guitar mm bit of acoustic guitar um whilst i was at uni i spent a lot of time making bloops and bleeps <laughs> um 
because that's the sort of fun thing you can of course. do in the small hours. Yeah. Um, well, you've still got the energy to be well, awake exactly, at that time. Exactly. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> do everything over a cup of Horlicks now. So. <laughs> um, but no, and then after that, started playing in bands, um, started working with Josie N, obviously, mm. um, and then dug through a lot of the back catalogue of the, the folk standards, I suppose. Mm. So people like Nick Jones is... Um, your Simpsons, your Carthys, your Dick Gockens, all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. I suppose the gateway there is the guitar for you yeah. then. So you're yeah. you're admiring the, the guitarists that you've just listed and, and and you're finding traditional music because that's their, yes. yeah. their meter. It's one of those things that you find there's almost a, a rite of passage, I guess, where everyone is sort of late 70s, certainly. There were loads of these like Stefan Grossman Celtic guitar compilations right. that you'd find like all the Martins would have turned up and played something on and it's yeah. all these O'Carolan tunes and things like yeah, that yeah. and that to me was like wow okay you can get away with doing this yeah. you can um, this plus the things like your, your Nick Jones's instrument or the, the accompaniment yeah. type things and then Martin's work with June Table and all that mm, kind of stuff mm, sort mm. of resonated with me mm. um, and I mean and then you start finding the stuff in Cecil House yeah. And there's a there's a wonderful, wonderful book um, of Irish airs and ballads uh, that you can dig through. It's from like 1740. Yeah. And uh, the whole first couple of paragraphs are basically saying, look, uh, we have collected these tunes from these old composers such as O'Carolan and a few others and uh, learned it from, they were transcribed in a bar on this day and the musicians were paid in full, in kind. And basically, <laughs> so he just basically just got them all drunk, started writing down these tunes and melodies, and then so there's but there's all like uh, Caroline's concertos and all these kind of stuff in there, and they clearly mm. just got a bunch of harpists in to say, right, play us some tunes. Mm. We'll play you a beer. Yeah. And we'll write down everything afterwards. And it's just like, that's, that. there's a picture there, straight away painted. Absolutely, yeah. It's fantastic And it's just so, that wonderful yeah. context, isn't it? So you, yeah. you're... I suppose the difference between that and say say listening to a, a piece by a singer songwriter is that the singer songwriter is trying very hard to create uh, an image for you, but the background to that image is very personal. Mm. And what you've got there, and I suppose this to some relate to to some extent relates to the idea of uh, folk music being of the people, is that you've got a, a very communal setting yeah. there that you can that anybody can picture. Yeah, really, yeah, completely. Well, there's loads to talk about. Um, we're going to focus today on a song that, in your recording, is called On Humber Bank. Mm. Um, so in previous podcasts, I've talked about what it means to have a round number. Do you know your round number, Ben? I'm trying to remember this one. It's something like 1394 or something like that. 1493. There we go. We've got the right <laughs> numbers in a slightly different order. It's, uh, it's not quite Dewey Decimal, is it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So, Raud number one four nine three. There's no, there's no uh, rhyme or reason to why a Raud number should have that number. It's not like, no. it's we not like this is the fourteen, well, like the one thousand four hundred ninety third most important tradition. It's, it's one of those things where you'd sort of hope they were categorized. I don't know. We need to speak to Steve Raud on this, but mm. there's a kind of it where if they were categorized by subject matter as the first digit, yeah, and then perspective or region by the second digit. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I have spoken to him briefly about it before, and he said to me that um, that basically, I think he started, because he started his round number collection by just sort of sticking stuff down on um, on library cards mm. and putting them in shoeboxes under his bed <laughs> in the 70s. <laughs> and so I suppose once you've got to sort of like several thousand, yeah. 
It's yeah. too late to go back and start again. Well, this, this, is, this is where there's a whole level of, like, I mean, we were talking before we started recording, but yeah. there's a whole level of PhD geekery, upon geekery to, be, to be delved into on this based on, like, where it was collected, what subject matter, yeah. what perspective. Was it a broadside and how did that come about? Yeah, there's yeah, a whole yeah. different set of categorizations for that. Yeah, absolutely well. like, it is. And, and, of course, it depends on which library yeah. and catalogue you go to <laughs> to find out about it. But there's, 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 there has to be, I mean, in this day and age now, there must be some sort of weird, like, machine learning algorithm type thing that will take the first line of a tune in a melody and match it against something else and so probably... sort of like robotic robotic digitized steve Roud. possibly <laughs> i'm sure we'd love it <laughs> so we've got yeah so this is an interesting song to me on the humber bank and it's interesting to me because the, i've only ever heard your recording of it the, the the backstory for this one goes basically i was i'd been in cecil sharp house looking up tunes yeah for the lost tunes project thing that i was doing with rob Hartburn. right off the back of that, started digging around for songs to put on the Echo record. Yes. Um, Echo is Ben's latest album yes. for those who are confused. It's, uh, it's not an album for people who are confused. Uh, it, it, could, it, could, it could well be. It could well be. <laughs> uh, this isn't what I expected. Well, sorry. What's all the weird blooping and bleeps on it? Anyway, no. it's, um, it's, so anyway, so digging through and... I'd kind of wanted to incorporate like um, some tape noises and things like that. And of course, Cecil Sharp House has a large tape collection. Yeah. Uh, having spoken to Laura Smith, a lot of it is in a state of degrading quite rapidly. Right. So they were trying to get, at the time I spoke to them, they were trying to get funding to get it. Um, you bake the tapes. Basically, right. it's okay. what, what it is, is, is this is incredibly, incredibly nerdy. But the the material, the glue that holds the magnetic material to the plastic backing of the tape yeah. degrades over time yeah. through moisture. Yeah. So when you try and play one of these tapes on a tape machine, all that happens is the magnetic material rubs off. Right. And that's the recording lost. Yeah. So the way to deal with it is you basically place it in, a t- in an oven at low temperature. Right, right. And right. it will dry the glue back out so then you can use it again. So the, 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 they were trying to get funding to sort of digitise some of these tapes. Um, but in the meantime, some of them had been digitised, which meant you could actually listen back to them properly without mm. the risk of damaging it. Mm. Um, and the ones I'd come across were by a guy called Ken Stubbs. Ken Stubbs, yes. Who was a um, a collector. Uh, you've, I'm assuming you've explained collecting and things like that on your previous... <laughs> well, I've explained collecting. I, I, I guess, I yes, I suppose we should very quickly say, obviously Cecil Sharp House we've mentioned before. It's that grand old building in Camden in, in London where... Mm. I think something like 250,000 fragments of songs or complete songs are, are kept uh, yep. that n- almost nobody seems to know about, which is part of my uh, process well, it's, here. It's, it's that weird thing where they, they only know about it having listened to a couple of Fairport albums. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and just suddenly going, oh, yeah, we know, we know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. It's such a wonderful place. And Laura Smith is the, is the librarian there. Uh, you mentioned her mm. just now. And, you know, extremely friendly, very helpful, extremely knowledgeable person. Yep. That I'm sure she'll hate me for saying this, but you should. All listeners should just go and bother her with questions. Everyone, just just pick up a book off the shelf and start digging through it because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's literally a treasure trove of, of bits it and pieces yeah. of, of historical musical artifact. Yeah, so. and I know a little bit about baking tapes because I am actually a huge Beatles fan, and I remember reading a lot about how they baked the tapes yep. for those to make sure that they survived. Yeah, it's. I love the fact that it's such an archaic sounding. Um, process literally you want to keep these things and you so you have yeah. to put them in the oven <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Because you, you don't really imagine doing it with anything else. No. Well, it's also the idea that you're, you know, if in the case of what we're talking about here is a treasure trove of tapes re- relating to the nation's traditional songs, yeah. or you're talking about something as invaluable as the Beatles collection, yeah. and how should we keep them? We'll stick well, them in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's, it's so I so yeah I so I'd, I'd been digging through this um, these versions of the Ken Stubbs tapes yes and there's a lot of them which have been through various efforts of a large number of people mm. a lot of them are available through the Vaughan Williams Memorial House yes. or the um, Memorial Library website yeah. which is yeah. good and it means it's freely accessible to everyone to go and have a listen yeah and uh, so he's got lots of recordings so Ken Stubbs would have been travelling around sort of early sixties through to. Up so he's like, quite a late collector, isn't he? Yeah. In in terms of collectors, because yeah. a lot of the collectors were uh, late Victorian, Edwardian. Yeah, but his trick was ba- he sort of seemed based around Sussex. Yeah, and would interview people like um, George Maynard, right, in the pub. So yeah. the recordings which are on there of people like like George Maynard, um, just basically singing these songs in the local pub. Yeah, and uh, so I found this. Uh, I, there's Maynard appears on the record, but there's also these wonderful stories where he's just gone, right, tell me about this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of them were travellers, and yeah. they just say, well, here's a story about my old father who used to go and pick up um, uh, reeds and make whistles out of them, and that yeah. was it. And it's just, you're just like, this is this is history. This is so much character in there. Absolutely. So, um, do you know, so George Maynard is the singer of... Uh, on Humberbank, is no. that, that he's not? Okay? No, he's not. So, Ern Rabbity Baxter. I beg your pardon? Ern, Ern Baxter, I believe his name was, <laughs> uh, is the guy from On Humber Bank. And he's another one who appears a lot in these tapes. So, so these are the source singers. These that, are the source singers yeah. who would have learnt it from their grandparents in yeah, the first yeah, yeah. place. So, it's kind of to hear their voices pop up as you're listening back, you're going, wow, this is, you know, it's actually, it's genuinely moving stuff. Of just yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's very source singer. In its basis, so yeah. you sort of have a bit of leeway to try and work around things. Yeah. Um, but anyway, came so came across this uh, on the Humber Bank. Yeah. And it's a warning song. Yeah. It's uh, a warning song from the point of view of a woman who falls in love with a not very nice man. Yes. And she ends up with child, and he decides to disown her. And uh, she says, "Well, Sergeant, then," and uh, throws herself in the Humber. Young lovers, all I pray draw near. Sad, shocking news you soon shall hear. And when the same you have been told will make your fiery blood run cold. Mark well these words that will be said By W.E. I was betrayed By his false heart <coughs> I was beguiled Till at length by him I proved with child it's sort of it's an interesting take on the kind of because often I find with the when you're digging through a lot of the broadsides, there's always this the women are often portrayed as the nagging wife. Yeah, you know it's it's the devil's come up and he's taken her away and then says, well, you can have her back because I don't want her down here. With sure, me. sure, sure. You know, <laughs> it's all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, all the warnings are, you know, I got married to a guy who's always out in the pub. Yeah, 
and I really wish I hadn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's 14 verses of that, basically. Yeah. And you're like, oh. <laughs> so, so what was it about On Humber Bank that... Uh, is it because it's the version that you've got is quite brief? Is it? Yes. It, is it the brevity? Of well, it? no, because so 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 I've done a bit more sort of digging around, and there's a there's some very interesting takes on it. It's also called the effects of love. The effects of love, yeah. Um, and the tune that Ern Baxter sings is totally different to the only other recording I found of it. Right. Um, which was taken. Uh, I think the tune was Percy Granger had picked up okay. back in the early 1900s. Yeah. Um, Percy Granger being another collector. Yeah. Yeah. And then got uh, replayed back. Uh, well, not replayed, but, um, but there's a recording on a, a Yorkshire ballads group or something or other like that. Yorkshire Garland. That's it. Isn't it? My grief and shame I cannot bear. I am degraded everywhere. Like a blooming flower, I am cooked down, and now my love on me doth frown. I did propose on Sunday night to meet once more my heart's delight on the humber banks where the billows roll. We parted there to meet no more. In the process of uh, researching this, this song, I got in touch with Steve, uh, who who runs or is involved in that uh, in that website. I'm going to put the the link to it in the in the page that mm. this this uh, this podcast is embedded in. But as you were saying, yeah, so this is not Steve Roud; it's a uh, Steve Gardham, and he's uh, he's the guy who runs um, the Yorkshire Garland Group. It's called. And yes, Steve Gardham did some did a lot of research on this song. He seems to have found a lot of different variations of it throughout yeah. the country, but the earliest one seems to be all the way down in Dorset, I think. Or that yeah, point. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that one actually has a note on it saying mm. this is the it's the the suicide note of a young lady from Hull, yes, uh, who died in eighteen twelve and left this as a warning for other maidens. And it's it's I, I just find it sort of so. Hang on, you've got something that was written about someone who threw themselves in the river in, in the Humber, yeah. Printed and published by someone down in Dover, this, I think. Dover, is, yeah. And then it's travelled. It's for somehow somehow it's ended up in a pub in Sussex, sung yeah. by sung by a traveller, collected on a tape, and then kept in Cecil Sharp yeah, House somewhere. It's, it's, it is amazing, isn't it? And there's lots of different. So in the variation that I've put, I've taken her name as Betsy Watson. Mm. Um, there's lots of variations where they've called her Elizabeth Watson. There's mm-hmm. somewhere she's just gone EW. Yep. Um, and then there's a WF and there's a WE. And, and that's lo- the man. That's the it? man. Yeah. And you're like, ooh, who's yeah. this? Who are we talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's, there's, there's a, it's a sort of surreptitious kind of, yeah, I'm, screw you, I'm going to put your name out or put your initials out there, but I'm not going to nail it down. Yeah, yeah, it does yeah. make you wonder whether or not how much of it is true. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's this when so when you sent me this song and I started, I, I, I think you might have sent me the link to, to the Yorkshire mm. Garland group, and so I picked up some of that story straight away, and then I went off and I started actually looking in newspaper records mm. to see if it's, I could This is find, the journalist in you, isn't it? This, this is, is the <laughs> journalist in me, yeah. And I went to see what I could find, um, and I couldn't find anything no. in, in any of the local Humber things. And and I think it says on that Yorkshire Garland group uh, page as well that, you know, co- co- that doesn't necessarily, just because it's not in the newspapers doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen. No. And it, it, the likelihood is that if it did happen and the woman involved in the song, Betsy or whoever she might be, 
if she was of say uh, lowly stock, uh, if she mm. was uh, like a maid in a house, or if she was something like that, then uh, and especially if it was a suicide, then it would not have been no. considered news. No, um, and so the likelihood is it would never have made it into the papers. No, exactly. So um, but it's it's. I just find the whole sort of the idea that it's still being reported or still the historic the historical yeah relevance of it is yeah. still there now. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, and the fact that it's it is something that's you know it's what two hundred years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're still we're still sort of talking about it, and this sort of stuff is still happening. Absolutely, you know? and we. I mean, I, I, whenever I perform concerts, there's a little phrase that I love using, and I talk about these songs as being bridges through time. Yeah. So you can very quickly sort of stumble across this bridge and be two hundred years ago, and you mm. look around, and the context that you're looking at actually is not terribly different to what we're no. what we live now. So no. you you can instantly pick up. A tangibility uh, to these songs that mm. I just find that I mean that's that's where I get slightly flabbergasted by yeah. it all and find it yeah. find it slightly <laughs> overwhelming. It just I find I mean it's it is certainly what got me into traditional music that sort of the sense of place mm. and the sense of um, tangibility to the to those subjects. Well, I think it's it's it does become that thing. I mean, there's there's a you know if you take the subject matter of um, traditional folk tune anyway. A lot of it is not necessarily relevant to today. Yeah, you know, we're, a lot of it is historical record. Sure. And then you've got the people songs. Yeah. And this is definitely a person song, and this yeah, is definitely yeah. a you know, it's it's not a we farm we jolly farm boys out in the fields. No, this no, is a, no. This is definitely a look, women. You can relate to this. And this is a absolutely is fantastic. It, yeah, and it, and we're talking. You know, again, it's 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 that relating to that uh, to that very human emotion, isn't it? Mm. It's uh, the sense of in this song, the sense of um, uh, I suppose the sense of sort of of over overwhelming despair. Yeah, just uh, yeah. There's a there's a massive sense. It's it's the the desperation associated with this. Look, this is my last resort. Yeah, you've. Actually, this is beyond the last resort because I'm about to go and throw myself in the river. Absolutely. So. <laughs> and actually, I mean, I'm, so I, I made a few notes about this um, and I'm going to get geeky now. So I contacted, yeah, I contacted Steve Garden, who mm. was the guy who, uh, as you mentioned, he's uh, from behind the Yorkshire Garlands group website. And I also um, contacted the exalted Steve Roud and asked Excellent. them what they knew about this song. And so they both sent me back some interesting stuff. So they... Um, so, I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by this now because yeah. this is—I mean, I, I literally sort of took the one part of it yeah. and said, "Right, I'm going to," because it is something like 14 verses. I'm going to strip it back and try and make it in a slightly more contemporary way. Absolutely. Um, and I think that the the melody I used is a sort of minorized, slight variation on um, what Ern Baxter's one was. So yeah. he does it. If you listen to the recording of that, yeah. he does it in a very different way. Sure. Um, but it kind of felt a bit too happy for a suicide note, really. And then <laughs> so. that is quite a common thing I find yeah. with traditional songs is that you'll often find, you know, I, I'm, I'm in love with the song "Hard Times of Old England." Mm. Uh, "Hard Times of Old England." You listen to uh, "Steel Ice Band." You listen to versions of it, and it's so uplifting mm. and boisterous, and, the, and actually singing about you know people, homeless people. Yeah. And sometimes the tunes there. Why is like, How? I remember Chris Wood saying about you know this, it's, it's his take on Jerusalem. Yeah. The, it only really makes sense if the answer to the question is no. Yes, of course. And then it really shifts the context of it. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, yeah, this is, it, it doesn't need to be that massive uplifting thing. You've sure. got a total different take on the whole process. Absolutely. So, 
The two of them, uh, Steve uh, Gardam and Steve Rao, both sent me back some information, and 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 a lot of this is 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 out there already. So mm. you you will know quite a lot of it. Um, but as you say, so you've got. Uh, I'll just read out what I've got. So it's an old broad. Uh, it's an old broadside. So by yep. broadside, we're talking about those uh, the penny ballads that people would have sold, and quite often these these uh, the broadsides were were news reports, and they they were they could have been local uh, bits of news or national bits of news, and they'd make it into songs, and yep. then people would hawk them. They'd sell them on the streets. And it's the sort of stuff where it would be. The words would be there, but at the top of it would it would say "sung to be to be sung to the tune." Of. Exactly that, yeah. And and quite often we don't know what those tunes are, but in in this case, it's because there are oral recordings mm. in the oral tradition, we do have a sense of what those tunes might yeah. be. Um, so it was an old broadside um, uh, about a, an event, as you say, in as you mentioned already, the, the uh, a suicide that uh, occurred in eighteen twelve. Um, it's sometimes known as the effects of love. Uh, although Steve Roud sent me another version of it that and mentioned several other versions of it that uh, have the name of the woman. Okay. And so uh, there's one that he sent me that I think uh, it was called Sarah Wilson. Interesting. So, so again, we've got mm. we've we've gone from Betsy Watson, Sarah Wilson. Yeah. It, it's almost the um, where things have been either misheard. Or miswritten down, right, right? And actually, you can see that in a, as you said before, there's a WF is is the name yeah. is often given as the as the name of the man or the initials of the man, but sometimes he's WE. Yeah, and you could actually even yeah, see that that's. Could, I mean, like, a, a bad print will show. Yeah, will come you're missing up as a, the bottom yeah. rung of an E, <laughs> yeah. and it turns into an F. So <laughs> it's that simple. I mean, I, I I often think that sort of traditional music and these old songs are effectively a game of Chinese whispers. Yeah. So and if you if you dig through some of the early um the early facsimiles of of like the original broadsides yeah it's actually quite indecipherable in places Sometimes, anyway yeah. so you're you're there trying to fight your way through long s's yes. and all sorts of other things they's and she's sometimes look incredibly Absolutely. similar in that and kind f's of, and s's yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> so steve roud sent me two two uh broadsides which i'll show you in a minute actually i've got them on my computer which are from the bodleian library okay. in oxford yeah, yeah. and one is vast in terms of the lyrics it must be about if it's the 18 one I, verses if it's the one i had a look at then yeah there's there's yeah i mean as far as suicide notes go that's quite, that's quite <laughs> it's not really a, a note more of a novella or something yeah, like yeah. That. there's a shortened version which is probably what you you uh the, the version that you sort of ended up with may have come down through and that that's the one that's known in the bodleian library as sarah wilson mm. and that's only about four or five verses and and much more succinct and you i always think with these songs you get the sense that it's almost sort of like survival of the fittest the verses that people get bored of were chipped away by time and you end yeah. up with this sort of perfectly formed version i think that's there's also uh the verses that people are familiar with are sometimes sometimes the ones that stay because i mean i don't know how many songs end up with uh the trees growing high at the end of it or never climb to the top of a tall tree yeah yeah that ends up being there just because that's been the thing that's been familiar that people have kind of yeah and i think those, i think those are known as i mean i, I i'm very well relatively new to this and i think those are known as floating verses yeah, yeah. where you'll find them turning up in different songs and you're yeah. sort of like well hang on a minute this this one of one very common one is the the verse there's nearly always a verse about um six months being over and then mm -hmm. nine being gone and the pretty fair maid grows thick around the waist growing thick around the waist yes. is a very common <laughs> phrase <laughs> this is, i can't imagine why so actually, the songs that we're talking about here, the, as you say, the, the warning songs in in the tradition are often known as last good nights. Right. 
So a last good night is where it's a a song that's written in, by a third party. Mm. Uh, based on a purported tale, and you'll often hear it in sort of highwayman songs yeah. and that kind of thing. Where a great, a great one example is "Adieu, Adieu," uh, yeah. which was done by has been sung by all sorts of people. Um, and "Adieu, Adieu" appears to be the tale of a highwayman who's uh, who ends up being hanged. And mm. you know, it's not terribly easy to write a song once you've been hanged. No. So the it's, facilities it's, aren't really well, it's, there it's sort of, it's the, <laughs> It becomes that thing of like the. Um, you know, it's the maiden who falls in love with the farmer's boy, but the farmer won't let him run off with her, so she throws herself in the in the mill pond. Right, because that's the sort of thing that you do, and you like, and then somehow writes a song about and it. Somehow comes back, <laughs> yes. So yeah, so we've got that. So we know that it's a, a sort of uh, a last good night. Um, let's see. As you said before, interestingly, uh, it was uh, the the earliest printed known uh, known printed version is from Dover. Which is obviously miles away from the Humber Bank. Yep. So, uh, as you say, it's travelled a lot. But this is what's quite interesting about it is that it, it, it clearly was printed, and, and Steve Rowd pointed this out to me. It was clearly printed in lots of different places around the country. There's yeah. versions from Scotland, there's versions quite a lot from the north of England, there's quite a few from, uh, from Yorkshire, one from. Um, uh, yeah, one from down south, one from Darlington. And these are all sort of printed versions. But then you've got. Um, oral versions mm. so what would have happened is that the printed versions would have been disseminated and and then they become an oral thing so yeah. people who were able to afford the songs learn them somebody else might hear them and they travel it's in the, that way if you look at it in terms of literacy i suppose mm. as well because not everyone is going to be able to sort of pick up and read a lot of that stuff absolutely day, yeah we're talking about a, an illiterate period for a lot of people yeah. so. so the idea of learning something through oral tradition perfectly makes sense even if you look at things which are sort of the i mean i've been doing like john dowland pieces and stuff like mm. that and you only have to look at that mm. where the people who were playing it weren't necessarily people who could read the music so sure. they'd learn it and obviously you then get different variations on pieces yeah as they travel around europe and the rest yeah. of the world sort of thing so it's 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 definitely not restricted to the um the or the ballads i i mean i have the experience of that i suppose as myself just as a performer myself i can't read music i try very hard recently to try and, and teach myself but it's a case of old dog new tricks kind of thing mm. so i can't read music so the songs that i learn and the traditional songs that i learn have to be learnt in that way yeah. i have to learn yep. them uh, and of course we have the the benefits these days of YouTube and all of those kind of things but I often learn a lot of the songs that I sing from old vinyl recordings released Which, by people like Topic and that sort of thing and the voice of the people yeah. a huge archive of of oral massively, recordings massively and it becomes that thing as well of like if you're as you learn things i mean i i have a terrible memory at the best of times anyway <laughs> so so you sort of you, you you learn something and then you try and remember how it went and you always have a sort of as a as an image of it it's mm. like you remember the colors and the vague shapes but you can't mm. necessarily remember some of the detail mm. so you're sort of you're there going well this is this is me learning a piece of music or this yeah. is me trying to remember a melody yeah and you'll get the vague gist of it but then you'll make your own variations Absolutely. of it and of course if someone then learns it from me yeah they're going to take those variations and take yeah, it on and it becomes chinese whispers it's, as you say and you you you're, as a performer yourself you i mean i've got early recordings of myself I don't know, picking up a song let's say there's a song that I recorded on my last album that was called it's got the wonderful title it was my cruel parents who did me first trepan 
<laughs> and it's not far from where you come from. It comes from up around around the West Midlands. Okay. Um, and it's a wonderful song, and it was originally sung by a singer called George Dunn, or it was collected from right. a singer uh, called George Dunn. When I first learned it, so as not to forget it, I just got my phone out and made a little recording of yeah. myself. And then went off and learnt song and recorded the song and performed the song on tour yep. and all of these kind of things. And I recently heard that recording again, mm. and it's changed. Yeah. Like the song is is it's not entirely dissimilar, but no. I would say sort of it's ninety percent the song that I it's, first it's learnt. O- you've it's occupied you or you've occupied it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, are you asking me? <laughs> well, there's, there's a question. <laughs> is that a question? Uh, I would like to say it's occupied me. Uh, but but it's it's impossible to divorce the two, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, I I I always love the fact that with these traditional songs and these old songs, they're going to live once you're gone. So the period that it spends with me, I will look after it. Mm. I suppose. And so I tr- and you know, I'm I'm not I'm not somebody who thinks at all that you should keep the song exactly as you found it. No. It's, that, that that would be silly and you certainly wouldn't be able to imbue it with the amount of uh passion and uh creativity that re- is required to pa- to actually mm. keep it alive you know there's well, a think, sense of that I and i think it's the there's, there's a sort of there's a it's one of those things where you kind of you can take something and adapt it or make it your own yeah you don't have to do a bob dylan's dream with it no 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 you know, absolutely you, you you can just you can take the original material you can tweak it slightly make it yeah. as you see fit yeah and then continue with it. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's it's all quite interesting when you suddenly start sort of digging through these archives and mm. seeing who's who else has been looking at this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And how else have they interpreted it? Yeah. I mean, speaking to Martin Carthy at um, when he came to do the gig and you know saying about the Ken Stubbs stuff, and he said, "Oh yeah, I was listening back to them in like early seventies. Mm. So again, you've got like the the same people are going back to the original sources and listening to George Maynard and Ed Baxter and yeah. Baxter and all these yeah. guys. And learning the material from the source singers and then reinterpreting it how they see it Absolutely. anyway. And uh, yes, and, and I, this is something that I end up saying a lot on this podcast, but you know, Dave Swarbrick said famously that uh, the worst thing that you can do to a song is not perform it. Yeah. So yeah. that's the and only way it stays alive. And there's, there's 250,000 things in Cesar Shop House. Yes, there's that a lot to do, isn't that it? That haven't been performed yet, so... <laughs> So yeah, let me uh, let me just see if there's anything else I managed to dig up. I'm just pulling out my notes again. So interestingly, us both being West Midlands boys, that's uh, the first time it was named. Though, uh, sorry, the first time the characters were named, and it was in a Birmingham version mm. of it when it was Betsy uh, Betsy Watson and William Ellis first turned up as named people. The earliest uh, oral we were talking about the oral tradition. So mm. it goes from being a printed version into an oral version, and yep. the earliest. It seems that the earliest I may get this wrong, and people are bound to get in contact with me and say, "No, no, you've got it wrong." But I'm quite happy to that's correct beauty, myself. That's the beauty of the internet, though. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and it's the beauty of the of, the, of working with these sorts of songs yeah. is how we learn this stuff. And and you know, I used to run a website and a, a blog whereby I did similar things to what I'm doing here with the podcast, and people would send me corrections all the this time, is, and that's how I learn. I did a uh, thing with a guy called Michael Watts mm. here, and we were playing Great Dreams from Heaven, which mm. I learned from um, 
uh, a Raikuda record. Mm. Uh, and then he said, oh, well, I learned it from John Renborn. So, of course, put up, oh, this is this is a John Renborn mm. thing. And then, of course, all the comments underneath on the YouTube page, actually, it was this person. Actually, it was this person who learned yeah. it from this person. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. right. That's dear internet. You've won. Well yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you can take each of those little suggestions and go off and check how correct they are. And, and dig through it and yeah. invent your own version again. Of course. So the earliest oral tr- point that it's sort of recognised as having passed into the oral tradition, by which we mean somebody was recorded singing it, or it, and that could, you know, it's actually it's the earliest version is 1877, so it's unlikely that somebody was recorded with mm. any kind of equipment. That when we say recorded, we mean it was noted down, yeah. uh, being sung by a, a local person. But that was in Robin Hood's Bay in Yorkshire, 1877. We should, we should probably find someone in Robin Hood's Bay. I, I know a few. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few up there who are known to like their folk music. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure we'll meet them eventually. So let's go on to um, let's go on to what you've done with it. Because yours is a, you know, it's a fascinating take on the song so and, and as you say it's if you go and, and and i do i'm going to include some of these recordings and clips in this podcast so people can hear what we're talking about but they are significantly yes. different yeah you've got the wonderful Laura award singing on your version and um your version well it starts it's, with this beautiful sort of ethereal bubbling guitar part yeah. and then there's sort of these glitchy rhythms coming I in i kind of i just I don't know quite what happened with this one. Mm. So I sort of, I'd originally, I put it together and wrote the tune for it and then sent it to Laura and said, would you be up for doing this? Mm. And she sort of came back almost immediately and said, yes, please. Mm. So um, it started off just as a, as a guitar piece and then I kind of got a little bit carried away. <laughs> <laughs> but Laura works for a, a female charity based down here in Brighton right. called the Oasis Project. Okay. And they deal with abused women okay. on a daily basis. So actually, I sent her the subject material, and she was just like, "This is totally, yeah, absolutely mm. me." Because mm-hmm. it, it's what you're saying about the sort of the the experience and or the experience of the person singing it, yes. and trying to occupy that character. Yes. And for a lot of the stuff off this record, I was as I was finding poems and putting tunes to it, I was trying to imagine who would be the person that would sing it yeah. at this moment in time. Yeah. Um, to really occupy the character coming from it. Mm-hmm. So that's why um, people like Tom Ashworth is doing the Echo in Green, because mm. he sort of personifies that kind of character sure, I had sure. in my head. So it's it's so when Laura sort of agreed to it, it's like, yeah, fantastic. Um, but no, and then it kind of... I've been playing about with um, Steve Reich's Electric Counterpoint, for right. whatever reason. Okay. So the sort of the, the tapey loop yep. things going on, and then ended up with, I can't really do that, live and take those things along so let's try and do something else um and then for whatever reasons it that evolved at the beginning of it and then this weird sort of slightly radiohead kind of vibe crept in underneath it so it was sort of it's an interesting mix of things to do so you as you said you've just uh, and you you alluded to this earlier that you you actually took the melody and actually did something completely different with it right because the original one is the original one's quite the original one's in five it's major it's yeah it's all very folk 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 type stuff and i kind of wanted something that had a bit more it needed to have that the sadness that's in there yes of course and really poignant and i just wanted something that kind of 
express the sentiment of the song or tried to express the sentiment of the mm. words in a way that it didn't have to be thing that you, yeah. you sort of sometimes get with these tunes so i i yeah tweaked rewrote pushed around yeah and um eventually it ended up with uh my i think the original demo was me basically just sending the guitar part with a bad piano <laughs> over the top of it saying playing the tune and then saying would you mind doing this right it's like, yeah great. it's a gorgeous melody thank you yeah it's no, really it's, um, re- it really does suit it when you when you were sitting around and uh, and listening to those Ken and Stubbs tapes, what was, was it? The words in that case that that grabbed you in the first place for to this. because sometimes those those sorry to jump in, but mm. sometimes those uh those recordings to to modern ears. You know, you'll hear people say, "Oh, you know, Phoebe Smith. She had an incredible Phoebe Smith being a, a yeah. traveller singer. She had an incredible voice." And you'll hear, you know, people talk about Cecilia Costello, who was a, a Brummy singer, mm-hmm. incredible singer. And actually, to somebody who's never come to those recordings before, what you're listening to is quite a crackly old recording yeah. of of somebody who's clearly not uh, practiced it's, very much. <laughs> it's one of those things where you sort of you try and work out what key they're singing in. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not. Yeah. They're, they're starting off in one and they're shifting to a yeah. completely different one all the but way through. But there's still something extremely is, compelling about them. It is, and there's, there's, a, there's a passion to it. Mm. And it doesn't matter. It mm. really doesn't matter because mm. you're listening to someone who learned it from their grandfather or who learned it from their grandfather yeah. and the fact yeah. that it's been passed down. Um, and to me, it was uh, actually this this one. If you listen to the full recording, there's a wonderful bit at the beginning where he's, he's having a conversation. He just comes up and he goes, well, there ain't no teenagers here either. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've and, heard that. Yeah. And then he'll sing the song and he he turns to, obviously, the woman who else is in the bar and goes, there you go, Mrs. You, there's your warning for you, love. It's too late for you, Mrs. Ed, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get a, a wonderful sense of of, of the, the narrative that comes yeah. through it and also the placement. Yes. And you're just like, this is... This is exactly it. This is this is some guys in a bar, sat there with a, a pint of mild or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, is mild mild's not a thing anymore? Is it? No. I th- think it probably is. Breast Midlands I... definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, the first pint I ever had was oh, mild. God, <laughs> I think my grandfather always used to go on about uh, was it half and half, which was half a pint of, or half a mild and half of something else. Yeah, same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. That, yes, um, but yeah, it, it's it's just you know this is. Does and it's reality? those. It, I think when you do get the chance, and I so encourage people who are listening to do this. If you do get the chance to go to a, you know, a sing around, a session where people are are singing these songs and they're singing them unaccompanied, it's it's quite an alien experience the first mm. time you hear it because it's not something that we expect as a modern audience, and and we feel a little uncomfortable to see somebody just sort of stand up and suddenly start belting out yeah. a song without a guitar or something like that. And it's that. the it's but it's, it's so as you say the passion can overtake but you. also i think it's, it's what you were saying earlier it's the to modern ears mm. if you're listening to someone who's an untrained singer mm. singing something in a variety of keys throughout the same song <laughs> in whatever time signature they want yeah and you know this is a it takes a bit of work to get through it but once you get through it you're like oh actually this is this is totally fine yeah, but it's is yeah. a as an archival recording as source material it's the second to none absolutely yeah. so you you went and listened to that that ken stubbs recording i i guess you're saying that the atmosphere something sort of something clicked something clicked something yeah. clicked and you took the lyrics and the song home and you just thought I, how did it develop from there an awful lot of googling <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
mostly on the uh, the the Yorkshire Garland yeah. site popped up because yeah. of course you again what you find is that some songs have a different title just because the the first line isn't necessarily the title of the yeah. song yeah. so a lot of searching for lines of lyrics and yeah. things like that and trying to find out whether or not John Bowden's done it <laughs> is often is often a, a, an issue because you know, I can't do it if he's done it last year on his yeah, yeah, yeah. thing a day so um so yeah, find trying to find out if anyone else has done it, how anyone else has done it, whether or not there's something to avoid and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it's you know, there's there's lots of different ways of approaching it, yeah. I think. But yeah, from there it was right. I I like this. Something has clearly sparked an interest in it. Yeah. I have to find a way of doing this. Mm. Has anyone else done it? Mm. How else can I reimagine it? Um, found a different set of lyrics that continued on from what Ern yeah. had done. Um, and then go from there. But there's so much stuff on those the, the tape collections, um, and it's you know there's tunes, there's people playing con- there's concertina tunes and things like that, and all sorts of stuff. And it's just going through it literally meticulously, saying right, what do I like? What's struck me from here that's actually good? Yeah. And uh, I think that's the other thing is that people sort of go well. There's a reason it hasn't been done. It's it's not you know it's not contemporary and stuff like that. And you sort of have to go well. Actually, is it relevant? Mm, is it something mm, that I can mm. connect could connect to, mm. or that I know people that could connect to it? Mm. Um, and I think that's that's quite interesting. But there's a uh, there's a wonderful bit. Um, George Maynard is talking about. Uh, I haven't found the recording anywhere else really, but he's talking about when he was going hair coursing. Hair coursing. Hair coursing. Please explain. In, hair coursing, as in as in uh, um, basically he's poaching for hairs. Right. And. Uh, He's sent out to try and his, his, there's a whole thing where his uh, his wife is saying the kids need some new shoes, mm. or one of the kids needs some new shoes, and he goes out on his penny farthing mm. and sneaks into the grounds near um, Copsham near mm. here, mm. and uh, goes out and sets his lines up, catches a brace of hairs, and then comes back and says, "There you go, there's enough for every kid to have all the shoes next week." Mm. And you're like, mm. and it's this kind of like there's a reality there. Yeah, this absolutely. Sort of, this is someone whose life was doing that kind of stuff and yeah. it, i just find it absolutely fascinating it's such a window into, into i'm, I'm working on a, a collection of songs at the moment that i was that were handed to me by um the widow of a chap called roy palmer right who was um who was hugely important in the collection of songs from the midlands mm. um and it's a kind of little sheath of songs that she gave me that are that are largely um uh tuneless uh, broadsides. Yep. And there's one in there called "How Five and Twenty Shillings Were Expended in a Week." Yeah. Now, when I first saw it, I just sort of skimmed over it because shillings. I don't. I can't. I, you know, I'm mm. not old enough that I remember that form of uh, no. <laughs> bit like pre-decimalisation, no. and so I don't know what any of that really means. So it didn't touch me particularly. But then I was going back through the songs, and I picked up that set of lyrics again. Mm. And it is this detailed litany of faults that the husband has brought into yep. the marriage. Yep. And there are just these great asides in the set of lyrics that just sort of, you know, there's a section where, you know, she's she's basically listing all of the things that he's wasted mm. money on this week. And one of them <laughs> is that he dropped their chamber pot and smashed it. So she had to go out and buy another one. And it's just sort of this minute, uh, that this sort of sort of focus into... The detail, yeah. tiny detail yeah. of somebody's life that is fascinating. I, think, I, 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 I find that really interesting because there's, there's a, you've got that 
that kind of the the wife's complaint mm. and there are a number of the wife's complaints mm. and you you often find it's the the wife is going well i'm wed so i must be bound to do these tasks yeah and i wish i hadn't been yeah and you're like well okay but that's that's just a bit of a moan yeah whereas actually if you've got something which is going through and saying well you know you dropped the chamber pot you drank or drank all the money yeah and you know this isn't great it's articulate it is articulate yeah well what the wonderful thing in this song is that in the very last verse she admits to uh having drunk away the rest herself so <laughs> she's not completely blameless <laughs> i think there's, there's a there's a i was reading there's a whole um i was mentioning prior to this about the the research of broadsides particularly in the states yeah and there's a whole like broadside department at berkeley right yeah and someone's actually written a series of papers on the representation of women through the broadside ballads yeah yeah and it's the so because there's so many of them which are the husband or the man yes of course with the long-suffering wife and he just all he wants to do is go to the pub and she just keeps moaning at him and this Absolutely. kind of stuff and then there's a few which where it's flipped and flipped around and yeah. it's oh all i'm doing is looking after the children whilst he goes off and enjoys himself so maidens take a note from thee yeah or from me and uh enjoy yourself whilst you still can yeah there's yeah. very few of the he's a bastard and i'm can i say bastard yeah, <laughs> yeah. you say what you like he's a bastard and uh I'm going to throw myself in the river. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's just, it's, it's interesting to sort of see the, the role or the way that people have been represented throughout. Absolutely. And I think, I think there's quite a lot of work being done on, on this side of the Atlantic on the same subject. There was, I believe there was a, a sort of symposium on that very subject down here in Sussex. Yes, there was, there was, um, Shirley Collins came and did a bit of talking with them. Uh, Nick from Sticking the Wheel, yeah, yeah, as well. So it was a whole conference panel. Yeah. Um, so. On your on um, on Humber Bank, mm. uh, have you do you play it live? I have done a couple of times. How do you yeah. do it? Because you you have to bring a singer along. Because I know you yes. you're not, you don't consider yourself a singer. Yeah. So I've done it a couple of times. I've done it a couple of times with Laura, mm-hmm. um, where I've done it with a, a loop pedal delay setup type stuff, mm. um, and also did it with Emily May Winters. Oh, yes. Um, she asked if she could sing it. Mm. And I uh, said, yeah, why not? It's a song. Just sing it. Sing whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. So so we did that with um, with John Parker doing double bass line okay. on there and there. Because there's, like, there's quite a sort of hypnotic bass part in the track itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he plays that live and then Emily does a, a cracking job of being Betsy Watson. <laughs> uh, which I think is the, is the drama school coming out. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah, so it's. Uh, <laughs> have you taken it home, so to speak? Yeah, have you ever played it up in in Hull or up in near Humber? No, no, no they won't have me near there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. Uh, not yet. <laughs> no. I think that's it's something to aspire towards. Mm. Just taking it back up there. Um, mm. I think there's a if you particularly in the folk club audience because a lot of people will be local to yep. that particular region. Yeah. They will get. They completely get it. Um, but I do wonder whether or not with Humber Bank, although the the subject matter is based up there, the fact that it was first printed in Dover, mm. um, how much it's travelled and how far it's travelled, and again some of the reality, the, the factual accuracies of it, yeah, might, yeah, be, yeah, uh, yeah. might be a little subject to to things. But uh, it's all good fun. It is all good fun. If you're if you're meeting somebody who is starting to be intrigued by the idea of folk music mm. and traditional, I, when I say traditional music, it doesn't have to be traditional, of course, because broadsides aren't necessarily considered traditional, and certainly music hall is not tr- considered traditional. But these are old songs yeah. that that uh, quite often are anonymous. 
mm. and quite often well there's just such a wealth there that yeah. it's quite hard to get into so if you were meeting somebody first time who st- was starting to get that interest what would you recommend them to do go to Cecil House Cecil Sharp House yes. yeah <laughs> literally just just go to Cecil Sharp House and start picking up books yeah and if nothing inspires you in there then keep digging start listening to to Nick Jones start listening yeah. to June Table stuff start listening to a lot of these old records that yeah. Martin Carthy obviously and, and further back and just keep digging through it and and finding the material and see if you can trace where they got their source material from yeah as well so if you've got you know if you end up finding someone singing a song that you're intrigued by and it says oh this was collected here mm. where did they get it from how did that happen yeah and it's almost becomes a passion of research and a passion of like trying to yeah get to the bottom of it yeah absolutely and you you start seeing the material inside out then and then i mean and the lovely stuff about it for me is or the lovely thing about it for me is that actually i think i think everybody has a, a certain sense of intrigue in them when it comes to storytelling and you know i've i've met a lot of people through performing folk music who are not musicians who are just fascinated by these tales mm. and where they come from mm. and that kind of thing and and that's a, a great way just to meet people but also it's is you know once you when you meet somebody who's got the real bug for it mm. it's it's it can often be a sort of start of a of a really nice friendship like you know in in, yeah. in just a very basic way so i've met wonderful musicians that people that i've admired for years mm. as a guitarist myself the Martins that you speak of. I mean, we refer to them as the Martins because they they come as a collection. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, you know, you've got Martin Simpson there, who I consider a dear friend now, and Martin Carthy. I just feel so lucky to have met and known. Yeah. Um, these are hugely influential people who uh, who both of whom got involved in in this music because they were similarly geeky and similarly yeah. passionate for it. And why not? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Ben. No worries. Thank you for coming down.
listen to his album Echo which features a number of fascinating recordings of other traditional songs. The next episode of the Old Songs podcast will be out in a couple of weeks and it's with one of my favourite contemporary interpreters of traditional ballads, Jackie Oates. So do tune in for that. And remember you can subscribe to the Old Songs podcast on Mixcloud which means you get to hear it first if you do that. Uh, And if you feel like supporting what we're doing here, perhaps you might consider becoming a paid subscriber, which will cost you no more than the price of a pint each month. So I'll leave that with you, shall I? Uh, See you in a couple of weeks. (laughs) 